0: Jan and I wanna thank you very much. It's been a real blessing to be here. I wanna thank Pastor Davy and Mrs. Davy and uh, Lucy for a great meal and David for taking care of things and Debbie Price for seeing that everything was taken care of. But I have to thank you as well. You know, sometimes it's, it's a hard crowd to preach to, to talk to, and you've not been that way at all. It's been great. And uh, I just appreciate all the friendliness and uh, the encouragement from, from everybody. Nathan, I appreciate the music. It's been a real treasure for Janet and me to be here. I forgot, David, what you just said about uh, if I need Janet up here to remind me. The older I get, the more I need to be be reminded what I was going to say. (laughs) But uh, you can turn to Philippians chapter 3, if you would, please, and I'll try to think about what I was going to respond. I know, thoughts of heaven. You know, uh, what keeps us going? That's what it is. And we like to, to kid around, and, and, uh, and not really kid around, but we like to encourage one another, and Janet and I are there, and you know, we don't know, I, I don't really think that they see, see down and see the things that are happening. I don't know. They might, but I don't think so. But perhaps they get reports up in heaven, and we'd like to have a thumbs-up report to the kids that, that, you know, mom and dad are... Serving the Lord and uh, with a joyful spirit, and Janet said, "We don't want to go AWOL. We want to be good soldiers to the end." So, with those those are Janet's words, and so I, I, they speak to my heart. This is just a message that's been a blessing for me, and I thought, in in light of the times, it might be a a helpful Philippians chapter three and verse twelve. I don't remember. I mean, we were just standing. Why don't you stand with me while we read the Bible? Because we're going to read a, a fairly lengthy portion here, or I'm going to read it. And you can follow along in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, not that I have already obtained this or i am ready, already perfect, but I tr- press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had, has made me his own. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that we can take time for your word. We've been blessed so much with the music, the scripture. And Father, we now just ask that you might help us tune in to your word, speak to our hearts, and uh, give us something, Lord, that uh, might be an encouragement. Give us hope and give us challenge, Lord, to stretch our faith. Thank you for this day, for this time, and for this church, Lord, and ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. August 2nd, 1947. Some of you will remember that date. Harry Truman was president. Ted Williams was in the midst of winning the Triple Crown. I don't know if we're in horse racing country, but that's not... He wasn't running in the Kentucky Derby. The Triple Crown was baseball's Triple Crown, with home runs, RBIs, and average. Jackie Robinson broke baseball's color barrier that year. The stock market was raging up at 181. Gas was 23 cents, and you could put it in a new car for $1,500. People averaged $3,500 in earnings, and there were 44,000 televisions in America. And the Marshall Plan was in its initial stages, the plan to aid Western Europe after the devastation of World War II. The number one song was sung by that troubadour, Woody Guthrie. I think it was probably on those 78 RPMs. This land is your land. August second, 1947 unknown to most people. I was born in Chicago. I had a mom and I had a dad that welcomed me into the world and had great hopes for me. I had two brothers who I think looked forward to having another brother or sister come into the family. There was a house over my head when I came home. My dad had a good job. I was born a citizen of the United States of America and was entitled to all the privilege and, privileges and all the rights of that citizenship. But I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know anything more than that there seemed to be lights and then new sounds, things moving around, things were new and different. All those blessings of birth that I had, of coming home with my mom and dad and two brothers, I didn't know anything about when I was born. Philippians chapter 3 and verse, verse 20, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Citizenship. The word has a root in community, And from that same word, we get the word politics and political. A little history lesson here. Philippi received its name from Philip II of Macedonia, who ruled in the 4th century BC. Philip was the father of Alexander the Great. 200 years later, Philippi became part of the Roman province of Macedonia. The city was relatively unknown until one of the most famous events in Roman history brought it recognition and expansion. In 42 BC, the forces of Antony and Octavian battled against and defeated those of Brutus and Cassius at the Battle of Philippi, thus ending the Roman Republic and later with the defeat of Antony, ushering in the period of the Roman Empire of uh, Augustus Caesar or Octavian taking the reins, who's mentioned in the Bible. After the battle, Philippi became a Roman colony, and many of the veterans of the Roman army were ordered by Antony to to live there, to take up stakes as part of their pay for their service in the war. Later in 30 B.C., Octavian forced some people in Italy to give up their homes and to move and settle in Philippi and elsewhere, and these Philippian residents were given special privileges, including the Italic Rite, and this meant that the colonists, in return for their displacement, were treated as if their land were actually part of Italian soil. This is now north of Greece. So the residents were citizens of Rome, their mother city, and enjoyed the full rights of Roman citizenship, including exemption from taxes. Being a Roman colony was a source of much civic pride for the Philippians who also used Latin as their official language and adopted Roman customs. Later, as we follow the travels in the book of Acts of the Apostle Paul, he was led by the Holy Spirit to cross from Asia Minor at Troas over across to the continent of Europe. And there in northern Greece, Paul established the first Christian church in Europe. The first Christian convert was a woman, Lydia, a businesswoman, a merchant, selling purple cloth. Philippi was where Paul and Silas spent much of the night in jail, and by their testimony for Christ in a prison inspiration, and in a God-sent earthquake, they were able to lead the jailer and his family to Christ. That story is in Acts chapter 16. It's a great story, great, great uh, account. The citizens of Philippi were privileged to be Roman citizens away from Rome when a baby was born. In Philippi, it was important that its name be registered on the legal records. When Dwayne Scott Willis was born in Chicago, August 2nd, 1947, it was noted at Evangelical Hospital. A document was sent, sent and recorded in City Hall, downtown Chicago. In the third verse of the fourth chapter, it talks about these people whose names are written in the book of life. When a lost sinner trusts Jesus Christ and becomes a citizen of heaven, his or her name is in the book of life. Citizenship is important. Years ago, Janet and I had the privilege. It was actually quite a while ago, about 12 years ago. We had an opportunity to travel to Europe and visit missionaries. And we went to England. We went over to the Netherlands and went to France And we had to have a passport to prove that we were citizens of the United States. The best part of the whole trip was coming home, coming back to this country. What a joy to come back to America. When I was a kid, I remember we had an SRA kit. Some of you older folks can remember those reading kits. Pick out a card and you know, you had to answer some questions. And one was a story of a man named Philip Nolan. It was called The Man Without a Country. The story was an allegory and implicitly referred to the upheaval during the Civil War. Edward Hale wrote the story to protest those wanting to leave the United States. It was a historical fiction. A young U.S. Army lieutenant named Philip Nolan cursed the name of his country, and for that he was sentenced to spend the rest of his life aboard ships of the U.S. Navy and never again to see his native land or even hear its name or get any news about its progress. So for 56 years, he was on an endless journey from ship to ship and sea to sea. Deprived of a homeland, Nolan slowly and painfully learned the true worth of his country. And finally, he was buried at sea. I still remember, I can still visually see that card and... The agony of thinking about this man who had cursed his country and never got to see it again, never got to see America again. And as a little boy, that impressed upon me. All these years, I've remembered that. When you confess Christ on earth, he confesses your name in heaven. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, it says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before the Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. And in Luke chapter 1, Jesus sends out uh, uh, many of the disciples. uh, I think it was 72. And they get excited because when they go out, they're able to cast out demons. And they come back excited about this. And Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written forever. And the word written is in a tense such that it's a done deal. So when I admitted to God my sinfulness and believed Jesus had shed his blood on the cross for my sins, and in faith asked him to forgive me and save me from hell, I was forgiven all my trespasses, redeemed, reconciled, placed in the family of God, in the household of God, in the fellowship of the saints. Free from the law, adopted, became a child of God, made nigh, delivered from the power of darkness, partakers now of the holy and royal priesthood, complete in Christ, possessing every spiritual blessing, having access to God, among other blessings, given heavenly citizenship. Though at the time I only knew I was forgiven and a Christian, I knew so little when I got saved. I didn't know all these blessings. Lewis Sperry Schaefer, in his systematic Theology lists 33 things that happen at the moment of salvation. He says it this way. These 33 riches of grace are, quote, wrought of God, instantaneous, simultaneously given, and are grounded on the merit of Christ and therefore eternal. I typed in the uh, Internet, and I saw, I looked for the... uh, uh, Information or the little thing that I first saw that about 33 things that God had done at the moment of salvation, I wanted to get back to the original track that I saw that. And I saw 46 things that God had done. It's up to 50 on the internet now. And I suppose in the days to come, it might keep climbing up there. The practical implications of earthly citizenship, think about. And that we have the privileges of protection. The preamble to the Constitution provides for the common defense, the common, or I'm sorry, the domestic tranquility. We are a country of laws. There's due process, equal protection. We're not a vigilante society. And I think there's a good pride, a gladness of the freedoms that we have, like life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, and may I add, the protection of private property. But along with those privileges of our earthly citizenship, there are responsibilities. There's responsibilities to obey the laws. The Bible speaks directly to that. Paul writes, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Submit yourself, Peter says, unto every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors. Responsibility to vote, to participate in our limited democracy in our republic, and be ready to defend the principles of what we stand for, even to the death, to have a thankful spirit, and to pray for justice for all, to pray for our leaders. In our little men's group, one of the men said, you know, it's going to be very difficult the way the election turned out for me. You need to hold me accountable to pray for our president every time we come together. And we have. Now back to Philippians chapter 3. Paul gives a personal testimony in verses 12 to 16. He gives a charge to follow those. He says, join, me in, uh, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those. This is verse 17. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's interesting. The King James writes conversation, which was an old word. But my Bible has now what we understand the word citizenship. And Paul is saying, as a good citizen, citizen of heaven, follow my example. What a challenge. Paul was willing to step out and say, follow me. Follow those who walk as citizens of heaven. And Paul, in verse 16, it says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. In the King James, it says, walk by the same rule. In the NIV, it says, live up to what we have attained. Hold true to what we have already attained, amplified. And keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. It literally means to walk in military rank. Walk in line. It's not that God wants us to be robots But as citizens of heaven, God wants us to walk and realize that we live in a minefield of dangers around us. I'm not talking about the literal minefield, but the spiritual minefield. And the Bible is our map. It's our directions to tell us how to avoid the heartaches and the the, uh, pitfalls and temptations of sin. We're to march in military rank and follow the word of God to avoid those things. And then verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Eventually, it goes on to say that we await the Savior who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Eventually, he will change these mortal bodies to be like his. What a great, sure hope we have. In chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, my brethren, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. As citizens of heaven, we're to stand fast, stand firm. Another military command, often used to describe a soldier standing at his post, to be steadfast, Somebody wrote, and I've lost the author of this, but I have the quote. Millions of people in our culture have been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. But that's not the attitude. That's not the spirit. That's not the direction that we have as citizens of heaven. In verse 3, it says, Yes, I ask you also, my companions, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement, with the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. The focus is on others. The word there is serve. As citizens of heaven, we get to focus off ourselves, and our life is to be focused on others, to serve. That's one of the wonderful things about, that the church offers. What do I do? And there's so many ministries to get involved with. And then in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Isn't it easier to complain? Anybody agree with that? Is it easier to to gripe and complain? As citizens of heaven, we're to rejoice and always be in an attitude of rejoicing. In verse 5, It says, let your reasonableness be known unto everyone. That is, we're to be characterized by gentleness, by mercy, by graciousness. As God has been gracious to us, we are gracious also to other people. Verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We're not to worry. We're not to be anxious I know you say, well, that's impossible, but we're to work toward that, trusting that God is in control and that all things will work out for good as we are called of God to serve Him. And then finally, verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is just, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely... Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there is any worthy, of anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Are you ready for this word? Think. Think. Fill your mind with what edifies. In a time that relies on so much on emotions, remember, God says to renew our minds. Romans 16, 19 said, I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. So what do we think about? What, what is God's direction for us? That word simple means unmixed, pure, simple. It was used of wine that was not diluted and of metal that was not weakened in any way. And the idea is there, don't mix yourself with evil. John MacArthur wrote in one of his commentaries on this passage that many Christians rationalize watching degrading movies, TV programs by by claiming that they need to be familiar with the ways of the world to better analyze secular culture and be better prepared to witness to those who are worldly. But it's not necessary to sift through garbage to recognize it for what it is, and the more we are around it, the more we pick up its stench. The more willing we associate with evil, the more it will drag us down to its level. And yet I think, you know, we need to understand our culture, to plan our strategies, to effectively and truthfully present the gospel. And I guess from a diff- just a different angle, Francis Schaeffer says this, if a man goes overseas for any length of time, he, we would expect him to learn the language of the country he is going to. More than this is needed, however, if he's really going to communicate with the people among whom he is living He must learn another language. That are the thought forms of the people to whom he speaks. Only so that he will have real communication to them and with them. So it is with the Christian church. Its responsibility is not only to hold to the basic scriptural principles of the Christian faith, but to communicate these truths into the generation into which it is living. And that's the rub to keep out of the garbage can of sin, yet love the souls who feed there. I don't mean that as being an elitist, but I do think we need to know how people think. They may agree to what we say, except they don't have the same definitions for the words. I think of the word truth to a lot of people. Whatever you want to be truth is truth. That's not what we mean. That's not what I mean when I, when I say truth. I remember my father-in-law, when we had talked to him once about receiving Jesus. He says, I receive Jesus every time I take communion. And so it was a difference in communicating and, and having the right definitions. Finally, unknown to me on August 2nd, 1947, I received many blessings of birth. I got life. I got a mother, father, and brothers, a house, food, citizenship. On February 6, 1975, I was born again. I received on the basis of Christ's work many blessings. Among all these many blessings, at least 33 that somebody came up with, was citizenship in heaven. Privileges, I got the protection of sin from the penalty of sin. I got the protection from the power of sin in the present and the protection from the presence of sin in the future. And I got a home in heaven. Let me just ask a simple question. Is your name in the book of life? Do you have the passport for heaven? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Let's pray. Father, we first of all just want to tell you we rejoice knowing that our names are in the book of life. For those who have trusted Jesus, our names are written there. Father, never to be taken out. Father, I thank you for that. Thank you for the security of that. Father, I just pray that there might be some in here who might not know if their names are in that book. Pray that you might speak to their heart. They might cry out in their heart, God, save me, a sinner. Father, that among those tremendous blessings, maybe not the greatest of all those blessings, but, Father, the citizenship in heaven. What a joy knowing that we're going to belong there, not by, our, not by what we've done, but, Father, what Jesus has done for us. And we thank you for that. Father, if there's someone who needs to, Jesus, Father... Speak to their heart. And for us, whose names are written in that book, and we know it, Father, we thank you and rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.